Well, what a great psalm. Psalm 18. This is the psalm for us. It is a needed psalm. And I promise, if you're a true believer here in this room tonight, I promise there is something for you in this psalm. The the title of the psalm, you see it there on your outline there, is Praising God When He Delivers. By the way, you all know the name William Carey, right? William Carey, often called the father of modern missions. He said, one with God is always the majority. One with God is always the majority. And that's a good lesson, and the psalm here is going to bring that out. It doesn't matter who's coming against you or how many are coming against you. If God is on your side, you have the majority. You have the victory. Now, we're not going to read the whole psalm again, but I do want to read verses 1 and 2 and 3. Follow with me from the beginning of the song. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. And then if you flip over to verse 46, the Lord lives. And blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. If you were to summarize the life of the Christian, if you were to summarize the life of a Christian, we might say the following. The life of a Christian is a life of worshiping God. It is a life of worshiping God because of two things. Number one, because of who God is and because of what God has done. That's a Christian. We are worshipers of God because of who he is and because of what he has done. We worship our God because he rescued us. We worship our God because he is our rock. So here's the formula. It's real simple, and you're going to hear me say it a lot tonight. It's this. God delivers, and so we respond in worship. Or God saves, and so we respond by singing to him. God protects us, and so we respond by praising him. God shelters you and me. And so we respond with worship to him. You say, I know that. That's easy. That's Christian theology 101. Let me give you some examples in the Bible as well. There was a man in John chapter 9 who was born blind. Jesus was approaching him with the disciples there, and Jesus healed the man born blind. It's a a wonderful, a lengthy narrative in the Gospel of John. And when Jesus healed the blind man, John 9, 38, the blind man who was healed worshipped him. In Matthew chapter 14, the disciples were caught in a storm. They thought they were going to die. They said, Lord, we are perishing. They were delivered. 
because of the power of Jesus. And what do they do? Matthew 14, 33, the disciples worshipped Jesus. In Psalm 135, we read of the account of how God delivered Israel from Og, king of Bashan, in the Old Testament. What's the, what's the result of Psalm 135? So they worshipped the Lord. The man Augustus Toplady was the hymn writer to the hymn Rock of Ages that we sang a little bit ago. And the story is told that he was trapped in the country of England as, as he was caught in a fierce storm. And on one occasion, he took refuge in the cleft of a rock. And he wrote down on a little card that he found on the ground, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. And he continued to write the beautiful poetry of the hymn Rock of Ages. God delivered, and so we worship. Even in Revelation 5, the saints in heaven are worshiping the Lamb. Why? They are worshiping the Lamb because he purchased us for God with his blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. God delivers, and so we praise. God delivers, and so we praise. Christian, let that be what you hear as you go from here tonight. As God has delivered your soul, respond in worship and praise and celebration and awe. David wrote Psalm 18, which is nearly identical, all 50 verses, nearly identical with 2 Samuel chapter 22. I think 2 Samuel 22 was the original, the first writing of the song. And then at a later point, when David was crafting his psalms and putting them together in the hymnal for Israel, he edited a few things and what we have as Psalm 18. It is a song that David wrote to the Lord because God delivered him from King Saul. And all of the enemies and Saul's messengers who were pursuing and chasing and hunting and wanting to go after David to kill him. God, you've delivered me. God, you've rescued me. God, you have given me life. And so he praises the Lord. Now, in your outline, you have there a little bit of a literary outline. Do you see that there? This is important just so that you can see the emphasis of the psalm. Do you see there the praise, letter A, then letter B is remembrance, and then letter C is integrity, and then letter B prime is remember, and then letter A prime is praise. The A's are parallel, the beginning and the end. And then the remembering is parallel, the second and the fourth. But in this structure... What the Hebrew writers do is they want to draw emphasis to the middle. It's the middle section that the psalmist is wanting to bring out. Now, I give you that because in these lengthy structures of the psalm, it's just helpful to have a simple outline, an overview of what the psalmist is doing. But I don't want to just give you a Hebrew literary academic outline. I want to give you an expository, pastoral, practical outline. I want to help you think through 
using the same five points that you have in that chiastic structure there that you see there, I want to give you five simple personal declarations of how you can praise God when he delivers you, learning from David right here. Personal declarations. And I just want this to be practical and helpful for you tonight. Let's begin with number one. The first personal declaration is this. I love my God sincerely. God has delivered me. I love my God. And that's exactly what David does. Look at verse one. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Now you might say, well, I know the definition of love. Love is a selfless giving of oneself to another for their good, regardless of how they respond. That's good, but that's not the Hebrew word used for here for love. The word for love is actually a very rare word that is referred to as love. The word here of love speaks of a tender and really emotional. It's an emotional, compassionate, it'd be like us saying, I love God with all of my heart. It's kind of like when a guy and girl are dating and the guy just can't get her off of his mind. It's that internal, emotional, I'm caught up with desire. That's what David is saying right here. I am caught up with tender, emotional desires of love to my God because of what he has done for me. And notice how he describes God in verse 2. I think verse 2 is one of the greatest verses. So full of divine epithets or titles for God's power and deliverance. I mean, Look at all of them. Look at verse two. The Lord Yahweh, he's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. He's my God. He's my rock in whom I take refuge. He's my shield and the horn of my salvation and my stronghold. That's a lot. What a great verse to memorize if you're going through hard times. And you need to remember that God is bigger than you and God is bigger than your circumstances. Let verse two be a rock that you can stand on. I love my God because he is my rock. He is my shelter. He has delivered me. Look at verse three. I call to the Lord. He is worthy of praise and I'm saved from my enemies. I love my God. I think this is why Deuteronomy, so often the book of Deuteronomy says, you shall love the Lord your God. Why? Because Deuteronomy is all about, remember, remember what God did. Remember how he brought you out of Egypt? Remember how he made you his own covenant people? Remember how God carried you through the wilderness? Don't you remember? Remember these things and love the Lord your God. God delivers, and so we love. God delivers, and so we love him. One thing that this teaches is that true biblical Christianity is not just a set of abject rules. This is not just some holy book that tells you a bunch of lists of what to do. Christianity is a is a, is a heart 
stirring relationship with the living God. Because God has delivered you, you now love him. Because God has rescued you, you now love him. Well, that's verses 1 to 3. That's how David begins this personal affirmation of praise. I love my God sincerely. May that be true for you as well. A second personal declaration. Number two, you see it in your outline there. My God protected me mightily. Now, verses 4 to 19 are so theological. And they are just oozing with biblical allusions to earlier revelation in the Old Testament. Just oozing with scriptural references. Here's what David is doing. Verses 4 to 6 David says, I nearly died. I nearly died. I had a near-death experience. Anybody relate? Maybe you've been there. Maybe drowning, maybe a car accident, maybe you made a foolish decision. You find yourself in a place where you thought, I should have died. I should have, but I came out alive. I nearly died. That's what David does. Look at verses four to six. The cords of death encompass me. The torrents of ungodliness terrified me. Verse 5, the cords of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. I mean, I, had, I was at the, the very doorstep. I was at the front door of death. And my toes were at the threshold of the grave. But then verse 7. Now, all commentators agree. Verses 7 to 19 is what we call a theophany. It is David speaking in the language of a theophany. What's that? A theophany is a theological word that talks about God manifesting himself with great power. God manifesting himself with great power. It's like God showing himself in his terrifying awesomeness to deliver. It's like all nature is moved at the power of God. It's the language of Exodus 19. When God comes down on Mount Sinai, remember that? And the, and the mountain shakes and there's smoke and there's fire and, and there's the clouds that form and, and Moses is terrified and all the congregation is terrified. Why? Because God manifested himself in great, awesome, terrifying power. Earthquake. Clouds, storm. This is the presence of God in almighty power. It's language from Exodus 19 from Mount Sinai. It's also adapting language from Judges chapter 5. What a cool story. Remember Judges 4, Deborah and Barak? And how J.L. took that tent peg and, and the hammer. We don't need to go into all the gory details. But she does away with Sisera. And Deborah and Barak have the victory. And God brings this amazing deliverance to Israel over the Canaanites. Judges 4. What happens when God delivers? You worship. Judges 5. The theophany of God manifesting himself is the language that David incorporates right here. God is manifesting himself with great power. Look at verse 7. Let me just show you. The earth shook and, uh, shook and quaked. Verse 7. The foundations of the mountains were trembling. 
And they were shaken because God was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils. Fire from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens. He came down with thick darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and flew. He sped upon the wings of the wind. This is poetry. We get that. This is Hebrew poetry. What's David doing? God delivered me in such an awesome way It's kind of like how God revealed his power at Sinai. It's kind of like how God revealed his power when Deborah and Barak had the victory over the Canaanites and how God manifested his power. All glory to God. That's what David is doing. He's using this poetic language to give all glory to the power of our God. Verse 16 God sent from on high, he took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from the hand of those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. You know, when you're going through difficult times and you're looking at a circumstance or a neighbor or a boss or something in the future, And you think, this is going to eat me alive. It's going to devour me. How am I going to overcome this? You can go to these verses and you can remind yourself, God, you are the God of all power. And verse 18 says, the Lord is my stay. That's what you want to say. That's where you want to be. The Lord is my stay. God rescued me at the end of verse 19 because he delighted in me. You know what? You and I do that. You and I take communion, don't we, Lord's Supper? And don't we remember Christ? Hold on. Didn't he bow the heavens and come down? Didn't he manifest himself in the glory of God? Didn't he come all the way down to us in order to save, deliver, and rescue us? And we remember him? That's the Lord's Supper. What David is doing is he's remembering the almighty power of God. He's praising God. That's what we ought to do. That's what we do when we have the Lord's Supper as well. Well, there's a third Look at the third personal declaration. Now, David moves in verses 20 to 24 to a really important part of the prayer. I seek to live blamelessly. Now, hold on here. Hold on. David is not in a prideful, arrogant way saying, look at how great I am. Look at how God has rescued me because I've got it all together. That's not what he's doing. This isn't some sort of false piety. This is David saying, I've lived a consistent life. Now, did he sin? Yes. Did he repent? Yes. Did the Lord forgive him? Yes. And as David is seeking to follow the Lord, he can say, God, I'm I'm living before you with integrity. It was a few generations ago, one pastor said, The conscience tells us that we ought to do right, but your conscience does not tell you what that right is. That's why you need the word of God. 
to inform your conscience. So what we need to do then, believers, is we need to inform our consciences by the regular study of the word of God. And then we need to live consistently according to the word of God and according to our conscience that has been trained by the word of God. That's what David affirms. Look at verse 20. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. That doesn't mean, look at how perfect I am. It's, I'm I'm obeying God. And the covenant laws, the king of Israel, I'm obeying God. And, And he said, if you obey me, I'll bless you. Same thing in verse 24. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. What's integrity? What's righteousness? What's blamelessness? It's living your life as an open book. It's living your life as an open book. It's it's living your life with nothing to hide. Look at my TV. Look at my computer. Look at my phone. Look at my apps. Look at my texts. I'm the same man in public that I am in the private. That's what integrity is. It's it's a well-rounded life. When David affirms his righteousness, what that means in the Hebrew language here is I am a complete, well-rounded man. A boat that sails well is a boat that is full of integrity. But if there's one little hole in that boat, it can sink the ship. Integrity is living with no holes in your life. Not perfection, but a well-rounded life of integrity and blamelessness in every area of your life. Well, how in the world do we do that? Verses 21 to 23 tell you how. First, verse 21, I have kept the ways of the Lord. That's how you do it. I keep the ways of God. Lord, what do you say in the word? I want to follow your ways. I want to diligently, I want to obediently, I want to vigilantly and carefully keep the ways of my God. Second, and related to that, verse 22, I want to follow the word of God. For all of his ordinances are before me. What does that mean? Each day, it's like the Bible's my mirror. It's my guide. It's directing me. It's telling me. It's showing me who I am and where I ought to go. It's like the GPS that tells me where I ought to travel. And then if I want to live with integrity, also verse 23, we read, I was blameless with God and I kept myself from my iniquity. I need to flee iniquity, flee from sin, run from sin. Now, maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, that that seems impossible. How in the world... Could you and I pray this? The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. The cleanness of my hands. I mean, who among us can say that? But, but child of God, by the indwelling Holy Spirit and through the real regeneration that God works in every believer, you can do this. Let me prove it. 
Ephesians 1.4, God chose you before the foundation of the world so that you would be holy and blameless. Philippians 2.14 and 15, we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And then Paul said, we are to prove ourselves to be blameless and innocent in a crooked generation. 2 Peter 3.15, Peter says we are to be diligent and to be found blameless in the Lord. And I take note of this as a pastor elder. 1 Timothy 3.2, all elders must have the qualification of being blameless and above reproach. What does that mean? It's a life of consistency. It is a life that is following God. What a wonderful affirmation. What a great prayer. Again, David is not affirming sinlessness. He's saying, Lord, you've delivered me and I have sought with all of my heart to follow you with a full integrity life. A fourth. Let me give you a fourth personal declaration. In your outline, you see this here. It's in verses 25 to 45. It's a long section. Behold my God's supremacy. Look, look and see how supreme my God is. Now, if we were to look at verses 32 to 42, it's the imagery of a warrior. It's the imagery of a warrior in battle. Because why? David has been a fugitive. He's been running from Saul. Mountains and hills and valleys and caves and cities. He's been everywhere as a fugitive on the run. And God has equipped me. God has strengthened me. Look at verse 34. God trains my hands for battle. In verse 33, he makes my feet like a hind's feet. In verse 35, you have given me the shield of your salvation. In verse 36, you enlarge my steps under me. In verse 37, I pursued my enemies and I overtook them. Verse 38, I shattered my enemies. Verse 39, you have subdued at the end. You've subdued under me those who rise up against me. This is all language of a warrior. God, you you made my feet firm. You equipped my hands and my arms with the shield. You supported me. You gave me the stride. You have given me victory as a warrior. David was actually pretty weak. He was chased by his enemies, but he trusted in God and succeeded. How much more is there a greater David, a son of David, Jesus Christ, who came to this world and he really was chased by enemies as well. Literally, he lived with perfect integrity. And you know what? He did die. He did die. And yet God rescued his soul from Sheol. Rescued him from Sheol by raising him from the dead. Oh, Jesus succeeded. He is our rock and he is our refuge. What is it that that David wants us to know? 
David is saying, I want you to behold. I want you to look and see how supreme my God is. Paul similarly says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And he manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of God in every place, for we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and to another an aroma f- uh, and among those who are perishing. Thanks be to God who leads us in triumph. Yes, look at my God. Look at how I have the victory. I'm the warrior who has the victory because of my God. I have the triumph in Christ. That's what David affirms. And that's what Paul affirms. And that's what you and I can affirm as well. Jesus Christ always leads you in triumph. Always. But we, I want to end with number five in your outline. What's the fifth personal declaration? I will thank my God openly. I will thank my God openly. Now at the end of the psalm, it's almost as if we have the language of Romans chapter 8. Do you remember the end of Romans 8? We are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? And then he said in verse 37, in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will ever separate us from the love of God. Paul is utterly overwhelmed with the deliverance of God, and he just wants to praise God. That's what we should do. So, verses 43 to 45 in our psalm, God gives David the victory over nations. Verse 46, the Lord lives, blessed be my rock, exalted be the God of my salvation. Verse 48, God delivers me from my enemies. Verse 49, take this with you. Therefore, therefore, I will give thanks among the nations. Now, you and I aren't kings like David was of Israel. Maybe for you, I will give thanks to the Lord at my work. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, when I'm with my family. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, when I am speaking of you with my children. Lord, I will give thanks to you among the peers that you give me interaction with. I will give thanks to you, O God, and sing praise to your name. Never be ashamed of Christ. You confess Christ's name, and he will confess your name before the Father. Matthew 10, 32. So what's the whole point of the psalm? God delivers, and so we praise. God rescues you, and so we worship him. It's a very simple lesson, and it's a very long praise song, but David is using language of the Old Testament to show God is powerful. God is unstoppable. God has the victory. And because of all of that, Christian, 
you have the victory in Christ. You are always led in triumph in Christ. You overwhelmingly conquer in Christ. Nothing, not even the powers of darkness, not even Satan himself, could ever separate you from the love of God, which is found in Christ. So then we'll end with this. Child of God, think that God foreknew you, predestined you, called you, justified you, adopted you, and he brought you into this eternal union and fellowship with himself in Christ, that deliverance ought to lead us to praise. Child of God, think of, think of how God saved you from the bitter pangs of hell, from the arrows of infinite wrath, continually being thrust into your soul forevermore in hell. And yet Jesus came and he took it, all of it. He said, I, I absorbed it. I quenched it. I took it all. Because of that deliverance, Christian, praise the Lord. Think of, think of how Jesus prays for you. How right now he is protecting you from the accusations of Satan. And Jesus is praying for you, delivering you from your own sinful inclinations. And he protects you from your soul perishing forever because he's praying for you. Because of that deliverance, praise him. Child of God, the Lord has quieted his wrath toward you. He has satisfied all the law's demands that were against you. He bowed the heavens. The Lord descended to earth to live and to die for you in order to raise you to glory to be with him. Because of that rescue, praise him and worship him. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for such a wonderful and a needed and a God-honoring psalm, O oh Lord, would you use it in our hearts, in our lives, that we would be filled with praise and worship because you have delivered us. In Jesus' name.